First of all, so excited to be back learning again. Parshas Bracious, Chomish Bracious, we're literally opening up a new book. We're starting, we're starting again. We're coming back to perhaps familiar stories, or I was like, I didn't realize that was here also. <laughs> um, lots of stuff going on here. Um, okay, so we're starting literally at the very beginning. Um, if I if I start talking about anything that you've already just done with Verlea, please let me know because there's so much to talk about. We do not need to repeat information. That's first of all. Um, okay. I want to say something before we start because there's this issue. Issue might be too big a word. When you read the Torah portions in Vayikra, and it's like, what is going on? You understand that we don't understand them. Like you've got to go to, got to go to the commentary. You got to go and figure out what's the story here because it just doesn't make any like. Honestly, it doesn't make any sense. But it's kind of like. <laughs> but when you read the stories, you're like, oh, I got this. It's a story. I know how to read a story and how to understand the story. And I want to put out there that the exact same truth is true for the stories of Torah as it is for the incomprehensible parts of Torah. That there is definitely the part where a story is easier to understand, there's a basic layer of a story. But just like we don't know how to put on Tefillin or keep Shabbos without going to the commentary, we actually don't even understand the stories without going to the commentary, okay? So that's my preamble. The other preamble that I wanna say is that there's a story of a Hasidic of Hasidic uh, Rebbe, and of course I forgot who. And two people came to him for, um, for approbations. They had written books, and they wanted to get this rabbi to write that this is a good book, and da-da-da-da. So one of the people who came had a book of Torah, novel ideas that he had come up with and that he wrote down. And the other one was a person who wrote Sipur Tzadikim, stories of, of righteous people. And they both come to, to get their books sort of checked over and reviewed and get some nice letter. So the, the Rebbe takes the first book, the book of stories, and he reads through them very nicely, not the whole thing. He skims through, makes some comments here and there, and tells, tells the secretary what to write, and da-da-da. And then he takes the other book of like the scholarly Torah, and he like reads through it, and he you know, makes comments, da-da-da, same thing. So then... Guy's like, he's like, Rebbe, I gotta ask you a question. He probably didn't say it like that, but he's like, I don't understand. Like that guy wrote a book of stories. They're nice, but they're stories. Like this is like lots of work and time and deep chidushin, deep insights into Torah. Why do you take his book first? Why do you look at his first and look at mine afterwards? So the Rebbe answers, I took a message from God. Because if we look at the Torah, the first book and a half is only stories. He doesn't get into the laws until much later on. So, uh, so we're going to now, we're opening up God's book. Um, and it's going to be full of stories. And yes, stories bring us in. And stories are very, but they're also very, very deep teachings as well. So we're going to dive in and see what's going on. In creation, in creation years... The Parsha, the Torah portion of Bereshis, takes place over uh, 
1,500 years, <coughs> approximately, okay? The, the flood is in the year 1648 in creation years, and Noah is born at the end of our Torah portion. Spoiler, I don't know if you knew that or not, but, so, huh? 1648. What? 1648 was when the flood was, and Noah was 600 years old at the flood. So our book is going, no, that my math is wrong, about a thousand years, right? Mm-hmm. Next part is 1648, and Noah's born here. He's 600 years old, so it's about a th- just over a thousand years of history that we're going to get in a couple of chapters. Um, and you'll see that as we get closer to the story of the Jewish people, time's going to slow down and things are going to get more, you know, the stories are going to get more focused and more uh, intense and I guess time-wise also to slow down. Okay, so what happens in Bracious? What happens in the Parsha? God starts to create the world. God starts to create the world. Okay, so the first bunch of, the first bunch of chapters, and we've, not even chapters, uh, the, the first it's interesting, and you can take it up with Gila. The first chapter deals with the first six days of creation. Chapter two starts with the, with the seventh day of creation, and you can take it up with Gila. She has a, her theories of Christian theology and why, why they divide the things. Um, so we have the first six days of creation. Uh, there's lots... We're going to get back to it in a second. Okay, we're going to get back to it in a second. We're not gonna, I don't know. I have to say, this is, was such a stressful partial for me to prepare, because there's... So much going on. There's so much that's important, so much that's familiar. I was like, why do we have some of these like, in Vayikra when we have like these? We learned the Mishkan for four Torah portions. You know, like, but, but here we are. Uh, so, the, so the first thing that we have is that we're going to have, um, have the days of creation, which I want to get to in a second, just so that we have a count. What was created on day one? What was created on day two? What was going on? Here okay, we get back to it. The next thing we have is Adam and Eve, which we're not going to cover today. I told you before. We're not going to talk about that. Uh, we're gonna do. We'll do that next week when we have class. That's one thing I can. Whatever. Um, we had this discussion of the Garden of Eden and the four different rivers that are coming out of Eden. You see where we are. We're in chapter two, verse uh, ten, eleven, twelve. All the the different. Uh, there's four main tributaries. Is that how you say water things or tributaries? Right. Uh, and so God plants in the in the garden. The first thing that we have, the first story we have in the garden is chapter three. What happens in chapter three? The serpent, right? The the serpent is the most cunning of all animals. And we have the story of him approaching Chava. I'm going to prefer not to call her by her English name. We're just going Chava, in Kolchai. And she has a conversation. Parenthetically, we have very few talking animals in Torah, right? We have the serpent and and the donkey. And the donkey, that's it. We have the serpent and the donkey. And there's a whole conversation about what do they say and what do they represent. So I don't know if we're going to have a chance to get into it. But so we have the whole story here of Adam and Chava with the eating from the tree of the tree of knowledge. Tell me, we're, we're familiar? Yes, so far? We, okay, just later. Um, and then uh, they, in, in chapter 3, verse 7, their eyes are open and they understand that they are now, they understand that they're naked and they take these leaves and they make clothing for themselves. Um, the one thing that we know for sure, that what did, they, what did they not eat in the Garden of Eden? An apple? 
It was not an apple. <laughs> the only thing that we know for sure is that it was not an apple. The, the Talmud has a whole conversation about what did they eat? Was it wheat? Was it a date? Was it um, an so estra? What? Why did they care so much what it was, what they ate? Well, first of all, on, a ba- on, on our first story level, who cares? It doesn't matter. But everything means something. Yeah. So there's a difference if what they ate was grapes or wheat or an esterg or wheat. It's all spiritually, it's going to have different ramifications of what was it that they ate. Okay, but we all know it was not an apple. That was one thing everybody's agreed on. Um, they, it's interesting that they take fig leaves and they close out of fig leaves for themselves. And that's why a lot of the commentators say, oh, it was a fig leaf because none of the other trees wanted to give their, their leaves to cover these people who had just done this, you know, this thing. But uh, it's the Gemara, it's the Jewish people. We don't have one answer. <laughs> that, that's for sure. Um, and and over, they, hear God, they hear God's voice and Hashem says to them, in, ver- in chapter 3, verse 9, Hashem calls to them, and he says to them, Ayeka, and, he's, and they say, uh, and, he's, and, and our demanders that I heard your voice, but I was afraid, and that's why I hood, that's why I hid, not hood. Um, and God says, who told you that you were naked? And we have this whole conversation back and forth between God. I want to pause for a second. There are some stories that are so famous that they have to be repeated, so I'm sorry, I'm going to repeat a very famous story. Okay? When the altar of the first Chabad Rebbe was in jail, the, one of the, the ministers came to visit him and he said, I don't understand, uh, you know, I don't understand some Bible stories. I know you're a very righteous person. What is this business? What is God coming and saying, Ayeka, where are you? But God doesn't know. Like, the whole world isn't so big. Like, what, what does that mean? Ayeka, where are you? So, so Adam says, sorry, so the altar of said to him, he responded that God was sort of opening conversation. He didn't want him to be startled. So he opens conversation, Ayeka, where are you? And to, so the minister replies to the Al-Tabba, I know what Rashi said. <laughs> That's what Rashi said. Rashi says that God was trying not to startle Adam. But what does it mean? What does it mean? So the Al-Tabba says that God comes to every single person and says to him, you are now X, X years old. And the story always indicates that the Al-Tabba mentioned the age that this minister was. And God's saying, Ayeka, where are you? What are you up to in your life? What have, where are you standing? Where do you want to go? It's a personal cry from Hashem to each and every one of us every single day. Where are you? What are you doing? Where, are you on the path that you want to go? These are my words on that, Ayeka. You know, are we headed in the direction that we want to be headed? Are we staying on track? Are we focused? Ayeka, where am I? And I think that it's an even more true truism today because there's so much out there. Do you know what I mean? Adam and Chava, they're in the garden. There's not a whole lot going on. Everything's brand new. There's not, there's not so many. I mean, I, I would have actually, I was going to say there weren't so many distractions, but that's actually probably not true because if everything was brand new, everything was a distraction. Everything was, you know, they had to touch and feel it, you know, like kids are, you know, they wanted to touch and see everything. Um, but I think that there's a place that we today can so easily be lost in everything. And we need to ask ourselves, Ayaka, where are we? Are we staying true to who we are and what we want to be? And I think that's, um, yeah, I want to bring that story in. Um, and at, um, 
So what's the end of the story? So God says, did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? You'd bet who's going to read for me in 12 in English. What does Adam say? Chapter 3, verse, chapter three, verse 12. Okay. Continue. Was that, by the way, was that a really super nice thing to say? No. Where's your personal responsibility? Okay, yes. Okay, right. So, yeah, so we're, we're going to pause here for a second. Um, it's interesting that uh, Hashem asks Adam and Chava, who as, as yet has not yet been given a name, by the way, that's why she's Haisha, she hasn't yet been given a name, um, what happened, and they, she doesn't go to the snake and say, snake, what were you thinking when you did this? Like, if this was the instigator, we're not giving him a chance to really defend himself. Hashem comes back now and is going to give out punishments to all of the to all of the people involved in here. The first thing he tells is that the snake is going to be, according to a lot of the Midrashim, the snake had legs that it lost, um, and it's going to be on its belly. And, uh, and it's interesting, you know, the curse that is given to the snake is um, that you will eat dirt. All, that's what your food is going to be. And the, the sages on it are like, what kind of curse is that? Like, that's so plentiful. It's like all over the place. Okay, besides it, it tastes like dirt, but like, it's all over the place. And essentially, God's saying to the snake, I don't have anything to do with you. You're on your own. Like, you could, your food is plentiful. I, I'm, I just don't want to, like, we're not, our interactions are going to be kind of limited. It talks about, Hashem said, there's going to be this enmity and some kind of tension always going on between the woman and snakes. Um, and humankind and the snakes, they're always going to be trying to kill you. You're always going to be trying to kill it. To the woman, Hashem says that you're now going to have a painful childbirth. Um, uh, and that you're going to always desire your husband. You're, you know, like in the question of who wants to go where. We're going to talk about more of this when we talk on next week when we have class. And to the man, he says that because you listened to, the wife, to your wife and you ate from the tree... I told you not to eat from, therefore the, the land is going to be cursed. And everything that, the, in the first bunch of generations, till Noah is born, the earth did not produce anything that was usable. It was, Rashi says it had thorns, and it was very hard to work. And it wasn't just like, now you have to work hard, but it's, it's almost going to be fruitless. It's going to be like, you're not going to really see the, uh, what's going to happen, and you're not going to see the, 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 uh, you're not going to see, like, the, the, there's going to be no blessing in your work, and you're going to have to work hard from the sweat of your brow. You'll have your bread uh, until you die. And, yeah, you were taking it because you were taking from earth. You're going to go back to earth. We're up to chapter 19, yeah, verse 19. Lila. Um, are we going to discuss, like, next week the phrase, and he shall rule over you? Yes. Okay, cool. Then I'm going to set that up. I want to try to keep all of the, the Adam, the Adam and Chava's <laughs> yeah, conversation because those were not going to get any place. Okay, cool. Yes. Um, Okay, maybe this is under the conversation you want to have now. But isn't it interesting, and like, why is it, that, for example, Chava's punishment was against, like, like, woman will have a hard birth. It was kind of against, like, woman. Yeah. And then Adam's punishment was against the earth of the land. But also against the, also against the males. In what, in where? The fact that 
imagine going from an existence where you, I mean, we can't even imagine. Like, you don't do anything for food, for shelter. Like, everything is taken care of for you. And all of a sudden, it's going to be a big deal. It's going to be hard. It's going to be a challenge. It's going to be, you know, when we talk about the sweat of your brow, we're not just saying, like, there's a certain place where it's going to be, this is my interpretation. You don't have to take my challenge, right? There are times where the work that we have is so physically exhausting that it doesn't leave us brain space to think. And I think that part, I think part of, it, I mean, it's not, just a, it's not just a curse on the earth and it's not just a curse for him. It is a curse for, for, the, for the population that they're going to have to work for everything. You know, just, I mean, we're just recently, we we're talking about the desert and the man in the desert, like in different parishes, right? Can you imagine that transition where everything is so easily provided for you to going into the, into the land of Israel, now you have to provide it all for yourself, right? Here you have an even, I don't know, maybe, I was, I was gonna say it's a more drastic change, but I keep thinking, I keep going back to, to Adam and Chava, and this is such a new reality for them. The, the, the Medrash tells us that Adam and Chava were, Adam, well, Adam, which was the first, which we're going to talk about afterwards, the first creation, the first human creation was actually male, female, back to back, was created on Friday in the 10th hour, which is about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And by Shabbos, everything had gone to pop, right? It's not a long, it's not a long time, right? Like, um, so like, did they have a chance to get used to what their reality now was from being created by God? Five minutes ago, okay, maybe not five minutes ago, like such a short time ago, they were celestial, they, they were just neshamas, they were, then they get formed, now they're alive, and then, like, did they, did they not have a chance to understand the implications of what they had and what they lost? Meaning, First, I was saying, you know, it's a, such a drastic change. I was like, wait a second. I, if everything was so new for them, you know, was it, was it a loss for them? I'm, I'm, I'm meaning Hashem's telling them that this is going to be really hard and really, you know, things are going to be much harder for both of you. But did they even actually really understand how much that change was? You know, like, it was also new. Like they were, they were, they were created as adult humans, but they really were only still a couple of hours old. So, like, how much were they? How attached were they to this reality to say, "Oh, we messed this up, and now it's going to be totally different." It's it's a bigger it's a bigger question. I don't know. Also, like, if I was them, like, they shouldn't really care. Do you know what I mean? It's not it's not like God's being like, "I'm giving you my Torah, I'm giving you this like start to do my mitzvot," because that's not what's happened. It's like, oh, I've created you. I expect you to, you know, respect me and not eat from the street. But they don't have, like, any obligation necessarily for anything. Like, they were just put there because you decided to put them there. Do you understand and, what no. I'm saying? No. And so what's the question? Like, like, I guess, why would they care about all the punishments that they were given? Right, so so it's interesting. And, and that's like why they have no obligation. When you read the story, when you read the story the first time or the second time or the third time, just read it through. We have to remember that the tones that are going on, that's our reality being superimposed on the story. Because you're right, there's a certain place like, what difference does it make to them? 
It's also new to them. Do we serve God this way? Do we serve God that way? Like, like, it's not like they're so attached to a way of life and now they have to give it up. They've just been created. So you're, the, the place of the, when you read it, it's harsh. But I'm wondering how much of the harshness is us putting our reality on their story as opposed to, and this is what Hasidus really talks about, talks about a lot, is the, in the cosmic, you know, how the world is supposed, to run, is supposed to run, there was an option and there was another option. One option is we all stay in the Garden of Eden and nothing ever goes wrong and everything's always wonderful and there's no, evil is a snake that's very easily identifiable and out of us and, or the reality that we live in where everything is mixed. Everything is, is intermingled and, and, and making a good choice. When Hashem told us and, you know, before Hashem Hashanah, and you should choose life, today that becomes a hard choice because everything's mingled. But at the same time, look at the Torah and how much of, that, of the Torah would not make sense if we were still in the Garden of Eden. Would you have cities of refuge if we lived in the Garden of Eden? Would you have ever have to say, I'm sorry? Would you have to... Like, all the things that we... So much of the Torah, so, like, clearly... And so Chassid is saying, clearly, there's more layers going on here than just the story of, like, oops, they got this commandment, they didn't listen, and now they're kicked out, and everything went to pot. Like, it, it was all terrible now. No, look at our, our history, and look at the reality, and look at the Torah and say... Staying in the Garden of Eden doesn't line up according to what the Torah has written out for us. Okay, if you had a question um, or comment. It was comment. Good. Um, I read a reading on um, this that I really liked recently, and they were talking about the sin not the, the sin that like ultimately gave this punishment of being expelled was not um, disobeying and eating, but lying to Hashem and not um, mm. uh, because Hashem knows what's happening. It's, and when he's saying, like, where are you, to Adam, he's giving the first opportunities, like, opening the doors. It's like, time passes. And in that time, Adam could have come to Hashem and said, I did this. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right. right. And Hashem's like, okay, fine. I'll be the first one to say, where are you? Open the door. Like, the first opportunity for Teshuba. And then he doesn't. And then he flat out says, like, did you eat? He already knows the answer. Right. Well, he doesn't say he doesn't eat. He didn't say he didn't eat. Mm-hmm. He said it was her fault. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, the per- like personal responsibility <laughs> yeah. situation was a little bit fuzzy over there. And then she says it wasn't yeah. me. It was the it was the yeah. snake. I mean, he, they're yeah. not saying they didn't do it. Well, he he almost is because he's saying, oh, if I didn't, you know, I. You know, if he's saying if, it, if you say something that you did is not your fault, you're, you're removing yourself from the situation. So. Correct. Correct. You're definitely so, not taking personal responsibility for what yeah. happened. Absolutely. So he gave um, Adam two opportunities for Shuba, and he didn't. He goes to Chava, and so Adam sort of like led into it, so he has two opportunities. And Chava was led into it a bit by the snake, but she also led someone else into the sin, which is why she gets one opportunity with Shuba and the snake, because he brought both of them. He has no opportunity with Shuba. And so um, they were saying, like, that's what the real real problem is here, is that um, um, if they had done Shuba, all this probably wouldn't have happened. But because they didn't want that relationship with the Shem in that moment, um, and they couldn't do teshuva, mm. then this is what happens. Which yeah. I think is gives light more so to like the harshness of it if you look at like what it means like between like relationship wise mattering more than a, or like a thing of whatever. Right, right. I hear that. I hear that, and I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing that. 
um, it's interesting because like so many of the the classic commentators really do line up into what was the sin and what do they do and how do they and once you start putting Hasidus into the picture it really does change a lot of it and I want to I do want to sit on it for a second but you know we actually totally skip creation I just want to point out that we totally skip creation we are going to do that and we are going to get back to that in a second but I want to I want to sit here for a second um, because for us to look at Adam and Chava as like us is not getting the picture, really. Meaning, it's not like, oh, Hashem, or you tell your friend. It's not like, it's like a personal, I mean, they were humans, but they were also crafted by Hashem. And they heard instructions directly from Hashem. So to say that it was so easy, because the, the, the reading of the text makes it look so easy for Chava to say, Oh, the snake comes to Chava and says, you know, don't you want to do this? It's, you know, what does the snake say to her? You know, oh, which well, can Rashi says, you know, he opens this conversation about the fruit. And she says, oh, we can eat everything, but we can't eat from that one. Because the day that we're going to eat, and this is what it says in the puzzle, we're going to, the day we eat or touch it, the tree, we're going to die. And Rashi says, if the snake pushes Chava against the, the, the tree, she touches the tree and she says, see, you didn't die. So probably if you eat, you're also not going to die. Like to say that Chava would just been created by Hashem would fall into such a perhaps weak argument, it seems very foolish. She's not foolish. She's not a foolish woman who's so easily swayed by, by the opportunity. Um, and, and one of the things that Hasidus talks about is we're essentially, Hashem says to them, the day you eat from this tree, you will die. That's Hashem told Adam, right? Um, and it's what Hashem is basically telling them there's different ways to have a relationship with the world we know the whole purpose of the creation it is a dear home for God blah 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 two ways to have a relationship relationship one is something that's no good don't touch it we elevate it by leaving it alone but the other question is what happens if we do something wrong and then we do tshuva then we sort of in the conversation of, of, let's say, stuff that we did that maybe we shouldn't have done, but it leads us to where we are today, then those things become the impetus for where we are today. Now, can you say, go and do it? Because you're going to end up, no, but in the, in the reality of taking, you know, taking all of our life, as part, every single part of our life, and part of our, all of our experiences as part of our relationship with Hashem, that's a different conversation. And so Hashem says there's two ways to have a relationship. One is stay angelic, stay tzaddik, stay in the Garden of Eden. And that's one sort of way of doing it. And the place of eating from the tree of knowledge, where he says the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which means we're taking this place, instead of saying good and evil are so clearly defined, the snake is evil, God is good. Now we have this tree that is a mixture of good and evil. Do we want... What do we want to do with that? What do we want to do with that mixture of good and evil? Do we want to just stay away from it? Which Hashem is saying, stay away from it. Or are they hearing a place where Hashem is saying to them, take it and work it through? Now, the parentheses, just to, you know, to, to sort of highlight the, the, again, a little further, I don't know, whatever. Medrash tells us that come Shabbos, the tree of good and evil 
the knowledge of good and evil would not have been forbidden anymore. They would have been able to eat it on Shabbos. How long was it from 3 p.m. till Shabbos? Even if it's in the summer. Even if it's in the summer. It's not such a long time, right? So on the one hand, and some of the Mepharshim talk about this idea that when something is so, so, so important for you to do, there's a there's, you know, personal challenge. The Sahara is going to come out fighting so strong that you shouldn't withstand this test, right? That because it was so important for them to not do it for four hours, I made up the number. It could be five, it could be three, whatever. But it, it was not weeks and years. It was a short amount of time because it was so important for them not to do it. The Sahara was out in full force to try to get them to do it because it was so important. But Hasidus says a different thing. Chava looks and says, do we elevate good and evil or does it get elevated automatically by Shabbos? And she felt that the way to deal with the challenge that Hashem was giving them, they're brand new in this world. They've just been created. And she's like, I think that the, you know, like the subtext of what Hashem is telling us is that we should take on this challenge. We should ingest this mixture of good and evil and then we will elevate it. I mean, the problem is that they weren't in a position at that point to do it. So like, it, because Hashem told them they strictly don't do it, they were actually not supposed to do it. But that's where her, that's where her logic, wasn't that she was such a feeble-minded female who couldn't, you know, who couldn't be trusted with information? No. She said, wait a second, how do we elevate this world? Do we wait for Shabbos? Shabbos will perfect it, but then we haven't actually changed the tree. We haven't done the work. It's just happened. And for, for Adam and Chav in the, in the Garden of Eden, Hashem actually said specifically, don't eat this tree. So one could extrapolate that they really weren't supposed to eat it. But history has proven that that is, in fact, our Aveda. That is what our job is. And, and we have the ability, because the Mepharshim talk about that they did do tshuva. I mean, even though they were expelled from the garden, they do do tshuva, and that's how we have the ability when we mess up. And it isn't such a altruistic, oh, we're so into this for God. What's the best way to serve Hashem? Is it going to be to like wait for Shabbos to elevate? Or should we elevate it on our own? Should we try to elevate it? Lots of stuff that we do that aren't so ai We don't have such great attentions. You know, there's more of our ego involved and our temptations and our personalities and so much around us is involved in the decisions that we make. And so that's like influencing our decisions. And yet, we have the ability to do tshuva because they did tshuva. Because you, in this, you're right, this door was open and they didn't step into it, but they do, they do. At the end, they do come into that conversation. They do come in, they do do tshuva. Um, Hashem gives them the grace period of Shabbos, right? We know that they were not expelled from the garden until after Shabbos. So they have that grace period and then they go out and, and that's how we, that's really, you know, when Hashem says to Adam, you know, you brought death into the world. And Adam's like, me? It's all over your Torah. Death is all over your Torah. Like, what do you mean I brought? And, and Hasidah says, Hashem wasn't blaming him. Hashem was saying, we are going to be partners because you chose to be a partner in creation. To stay in the Garden of Eden and just be holy is like, that's an option. That was an option that they were given. But when they stepped into the, the tree, the, you know, the tree of the knowledge of good of evil, 
they said, you know, we want to be partners in creation. And partners mean not just to let Shabbos do its magic, but that we could do the transformation. We can make a difference. And so Hashem's like, okay. So that's the path you chose. You, I was like, I didn't bring death into the world. Hashem's like, you're choosing to be partners and that's part of the conversation that's now going to happen, that you bring death into this world. Um, because now we have to work it through all stages. And, and really, that's what Hasidah says, that Adam and Chava, specifically Chava, understood this was, the de- this was the direction for humanity to go in. Um, and that's, where, that's the way they actually end up going. My two cents on the garden, on, on their, of their, their situation over here. We have this, clearly we didn't, we didn't get a whole lot going over here, but whatever. Okay, so Hashem makes some clothing. Parenthetically, just want to say an interesting random thought. Not really, I don't know where, I don't remember where I saw it. So, you know, that clothing was originally made as a, for humans because we had messed up. It wasn't made to become a fashion industry. Another mistake. Whatever, we tweaked it a little bit, we took it a little bit to the other extreme. When they say that it's made from flesh, like, whose flesh? Mm. Like it said, it's like, like leather. Who did? Who was killed to do it? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. It doesn't it? Doesn't actually say. According to it, you see, Rashi says that it was more. It was hard. It was like nails. It was like an armor. It's like a suit of armor for them, which could not possibly have been comfortable. I'm just saying. Just putting that out there. Um. So one, uh, one Rashi brings either that it was like a, like a nail, like a hard thing, or there was something that comes from the, that comes from the Rashi says, davar haba, v'yesham, some say, davar haba min ha'or, something that comes from skin, kigon tzemer arnavim shuhurachacham, like rabbit hair that's very soft and warm. Meaning, when he, so there's two different, Rashi brings two different things that either they had some kind of very hard protective layer that's hard like a like nail, or something that comes from skin, so it would be soft and warm for them. That sounds way better. Yeah, it sounds good. Right? Much nicer. But notice that it's Rashi's second interpretation. Yeah. It's not his first, so that means it's, it's uh, more problematic. Um, okay. Um, and then, so then they're out. Um, chapter 4, that Adam knows Chava. That's the biblical, uh, the biblical phraseology for having intimate relations. And she has children. She has two children. She has Cain, and then she has another child. She has Hevel. Um, we talk about we talk about their jobs, right? Cain and Abel, Cain and Hevel, right? Cain um, becomes a anybody? Huh? Hevel is a tiller of the ground. Hevel. No, he's a shepherd. Hevel is a shepherd, and Cain is a, is a, is a, is a is, is he works the he works the earth. And Rashi says right away, Cain didn't want to have anything to do with the earth since it was a curse on the earth. He wasn't going to go there. Um, and then after a while, this is already they're out of the Garden of Eden, and Cain brings a gift offering. They weren't born in the Garden of Eden, right? It's it's not clear. It's not clear. Yesh yesh Um, Cain uh, brings. Kain uh, brings a Kain uh, brings a gift to Hashem. Hevel says, "Oh, that's a really cool idea." He also brings a gift, but Kain brought sort of like random, 
Hevel brought gorgeous, Hashem takes Hevel. Kain, here's the simplified version of the, you know, what happens. Kain sees that Hevel's, Cain sees that Hevel's, that Abel's uh, sacrifice is accepted. He gets very, very upset. And he, now has the first murder, is recorded in the Torah, where Cain kills Hevel. Um, and, um, and, he's, and again, we have Hashem... Uh, He's in in chapter 4, verse 9. So Cain killed Abel, and uh, parenthetically, Rashi tells us that he he didn't know how to kill. And he basically was stabbing him a bunch of times until he died. Mm -hmm. And Hashem says to Cain, Where's Hevel, your brother? And he says to him, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Right? (laughs) Maybe I added the intonation over there. Right? By the way, what's the answer to that question? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Yes. Doesn't matter. Yes, I am. My, you know, when when in that in the in the bigger picture of when he says, "Am I my brother's keeper?" The answer is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. And parenthetically, we're going to have a story in a bunch of Torah portions where Yosef and his brothers are not seeing eye to eye on how the world should go. And the brothers hate Yosef. And when, when Yaakov sends Yosef to go find his brothers and he gets lost and he, some guy says to him, what are you looking for? He says, I'm looking for my brothers. The place of being responsible for each other, right here. Big fail. Um, and we have a whole story with, with Kai and Hevel. Hashem says that in, within, in seven generations, you're going to be killed. You're going to be a wanderer until that point. And he's very nervous. He's like, everybody's going to kill me now. Because I... So the mark of Cain comes from here. Hashem puts uh, something on his forehead. It's not clear. Some of the Farshim talks about Hashem puts some sort of like maybe a, like a, the name of Hashem on his forehead. And that, that sort of, because if man was created, as we know, the Torah tells, was man was created. When I say man, I mean you, people, not men versus male versus female. Uh, in the image of God, that image of God that they projected protected them from the animals that wanted to kill them. But when Cain kills Abel, he loses that. And so Hashem has to restore a godly image so that he would then be protected. Um, What's the significance of seven generations? I don't know. Okay. The first thing is I don't know. If I was gonna, if I was gonna make up an answer. Um, seven becomes a very significant number in all over seven days of the week and the yeah. sphero it becomes a significant number which means you're going to be given enough time to really make a, a, a difference. Got it. Okay. You know, work through all your midos. I don't know if he's, if he's uh, Gura, what happens to the others? I don't know. Yeah, it's like, I don't know why he gets so specific or why he gets so specific right. talking about everyone's ages and how long they are. Right, so the one of the reasons, one of the, so then afterwards we have all the genealogy, who, he, he, this one begat this one, begat that one, begat that one, how long they lived, and they had all these children, blah, blah, blah. One of the reasons that we do count the Torah is so specific about all the ages is to get a count of how old the world is. Oh. In Bible, in Bible, uh, in Bible uh, years. Okay. How old was Adam? How old, how old, well, we know how old Adam was. Uh, how old was Noah when he was born? How old was Avram when he was born? We were able to track that because you can actually, if you love math, you could actually figure it all out. Wow. I don't love math. Mm. Okay? <laughs> Sorry. 
Um, so this, the, so really the Chomish goes, this parsha goes till the end, it counts the, the, the generations from Avraham, sorry, from Adam. The last thing that we're going to have over here is Noah. Okay, we have the birth of Noah over here. Um, uh, uh, we have Noah, he's born in chapter 5, verse 32. And the end of the the end of this parsha talks about um, the world getting corrupt, um, things going bad, and Hashem says uh, we need to do a restart. We need to do a factory reset for this project called World Earth. Um, and the end of the the end of this parsha is Noach matzachin bein Hashem. Noach found grace in the eyes of Hashem. Um, it's interesting, and, and Chassidus asked the question, sort of like, why didn't you just push Noah off into the next Parsha? Like, why do you have this little bit, you know, going? Uh, and, and one of the things that the Medrash talks about, Chassidus expands on a little bit, is that each of the six days of creation parallel a thousand years of history. And the first thousand years of history are a place of chesed. It's a place of extreme kindness. And Noah's birth falls into that first thousand years. And then the second, the second day, the second thousand years is gonna end up being years of Gvura, and it's gonna like it's gonna parallel like that. And so his birth falls into one Mida, but his most of his life goes into the other one. So it's gonna that's like the, the Cliff Notes version of this of the situation. Um, I do wanna talk about I wanna go back to Yeah? Huh? Sorry, no, I wanna work out. You could do that. I'm trying to work out, like, Noah's, like, his great, 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 was Adam. That's what I'm trying to Ten generations back. Ten? Ten. Ten generations. Ten generations from Adam to Noah. Then there's ten generations from Noah to Abram. I want to say something. Yeah, it's not so, I mean, okay, granted, if you take a look at the numbers, the people in the first, the first thousand years, they're living hundreds of years, hundreds of years. You know, Adam lives 930 years. I understand, like, that's, you're healthy, then it's great and whatever, but that seems like a really long time, right? Like, this, this excess of kindness going on over there, um, uh, that's part of the unmitigated kindness. But the problem is once you lose it, then you... I want to say something else, which we didn't touch on over here. Within, I don't remember the exact number, but a very limited number of generations from, from Adam, people are already serving idols. And it's such a crazy thing. Like you have alive people, Adam and Chava, who were created by Hashem. And in maybe, it's maybe five generations. They're already serving idols and they're serving the sun. And, this, that, that, and the Rambam talks about how does it happen? How do we go from being able to approach God directly to feeling we need intermediaries to giving power to the intermediaries? He has a whole breakdown in, in the Mishnah Torah. He has a whole conversation about it. But I just think it's such an interesting thing to see. And it's not actually so crazy for us to imagine because we see that again happening today in our generation where we have, in, I guess in the reverse, we have survivors of the Holocaust on the one hand, and people who deny that it ever happened on the other hand. And it's like, speak to them. You can speak to them and see what the story was. You know, like, and here you, you have like Adam and Chava are there. You could speak to them. You could t- find out what it was like and you know, 
It's not like it wasn't so, okay, they didn't have WhatsApp, but you could still find people. It wasn't like that many people in the world. You could find them if you made the effort. To, to have that disconnect is, is it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing. It's a thing. You had your comment? Question. Yes. Do people age more slowly or spend a really long time being really wrinkly? Wrinkly? Mm-hmm. Wrinkly. Like, oh, wrinkly. No, no, no. They were extremely healthy. We know, about, we know, from, we know from Moshe, when Moses dies at 120 years, which is considered long for us but short for them, it says that he is totally lonas lechad. His moisture didn't leave. He was as young and as fresh as, as a child. You know, 500 is the new 20. I don't know. Take a look at what age they're having children. Take a look at what age they start to think about future. You know, you had a kid, what is it, like 300? This one had, like, and then the numbers go down to, you know, 95 or whatever. By the time SARS. Which is interesting. By the time SARS comes around 10 generations after this, 99 is very old for having a baby. It's not the norm anymore. Whereas 10 generations before, it was very, very. People weren't even thinking of who starts a family before 300, you know, like, like, whatever. It's like, they're starting this, like, you don't even, you can't even picture these numbers. It's a whole different conversation. But yes, they were healthy. Okay. They were definitely healthy. Um, okay. Okay, I want to, I want to do two things. Um, if you did it with Verlaine, please stop me. Okay? It's, it's impossible to live in Israel. Maybe in all of the world, but in Israel specifically. Impossible to live here without stopping on the first Rashi that we have here. Did you do this with Raleo? Yes. yes. Okay, good, then I'm not doing it. <laughs> okay, I want to just say one thing about it. I want to say one thing about it. Uh, no, it's not the first Rashi. The second Rashi, the second Rashi, you do the second Rashi with her? Gracious Barra, you have to learn this thing. Why do we have that? Why do we have. Uh, one second, that's it. Torah? Yeah. Instead of business? Okay, good. Um, yay, something that I have to talk about. Did you go through the days of creation? No. Okay. Um, to say, I want to say, I want to say, so what's the first thing that Hashem creates? Day one. Day one. Light. What's the first thing he creates? Light, right? Yeah. I want to say, okay, take a look. Go to here. Gracious brother came at the earth. In the beginning, Hashem created the heavens and the earth. Okay. Did she talk about the the? No, skip that one. Okay. Shall uh, that? the word the vaharetz haytatahu vavohu chaos. I remember when we were learning Chumash, as when I was like as a kid learning Chumash, we went from Hebrew, we translated into Yiddish, so I went from one language I didn't know to another language I didn't know. Wow. Um, so I remember tayhu vayis pustin vis. It's like you know, it's it's total chaos. And there's darkness. And the 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 spirit of God hovered over the water, right? So it says, huh? The the spirit of Hashem, not the yeah. Ruach means spit, but uh, the the spirit of Hashem was hovering over the water. And what's the first thing Hashem does? He said, let there be light, and there was light. Okay, Hashem sees that the, earth, that the, the light was good. He separates between light and darkness. So he calls the light day, the dark he calls night. 
Vayi Erev, Vayi Boker, Yom Echad. Okay, I want to sit on this for a couple of minutes, if that's okay. First of all, uh, the Mepharshim tell us, what is this Ruach Elokim, the spirit of Hashem hovering over the water? And the Mepharshim tells us, Zil Ruch Hashem Mashiach, that in the first section, the first conversation of Creation is this idea that there will be a perfected state to this world. It was there in the early blueprints. The first thing that we have, the Ruach Elokim Merachefet, that there is this, this idea of Mashiach that someplace it's going to be very, very good. And Farshim asks a different question. They say, what else existed on day one? Well, there's, a different, there's two different conversations. Did Hashem create everything on day one and then just bring it out every single day? Or, that's one, one option, or every day he created something else. That means on the second day, Hashem took all the waters, right? If you look for us for a second, we have the waters get created on the second day and they get split on the second day. Upper waters, lower waters. On the third day, the earth comes out. We have vegetation coming out on the third day, day three. Day four, we have fish and birds. Day five, we have, no, that's not true. Day four, we have the luminaries. We have the sun and the moon and the stars. If that whole conversation going on, that's on day four. Day five, we have the fish and the birds. And you know, when you think of fish and birds, you always think of, I always think of like goldfish and like, you know, canaries. but it's like everything. It's like the whales and the everything. Fish and birds are day five. Day six, we have all the land animals. And then we have Adam, which we know is a composite of uh, male and female. Then we have the split. Then we have whatever else is going on. And then we have Shabbos. Okay? Then we, no, then we have the guard, we have the eating from the tree of knowledge. And then we have Shabbos. Okay. Who needs light if there's nothing to see? Why does Hashem start with light? Why is the first thing Hashem creates? Vayhiyar. We only need light. In what, co- in what context do we need light? To see. You need it to see to, for warmth, for growing. What do you need light if there is nothing else there? So the Mephoshim has that question. What do you need light for? And it's interesting that when we talk about day four, when the luminaries are created, they're called me'orot. Like they're the luminaries. This R is the source of light. There is something different about this light and that light. And so everybody wants to know what is the story of what's going to get, getting created. Rashi says about this light that it was a light that Hashem saw was too strong and he put it away for the tzaddikim for the future. It was, it's called the Or HaGanuz, the hidden light. And this light shone for the, from, uh, it ends up being... It was used. Who were the first people who were going to actually end up using it? Are going to be Adam and Chava on day six? It's going to actually shine through Shabbos. So it's going to shine. This Or HaGanuz, this hidden light, is going to shine for 36 hours. Where else are we going to have the number 36? I'm not going to make you think about it. But on Hanukkah, we light 36 candles. One candle plus two candles plus three candles plus four candles plus five plus six plus seven plus eight is 36, not counting the shamashi every day. So that, someplace when we talk about the, the mystery of the Hanukkah lights, it's somehow tapping into this hidden light that's going on over there, which is all very nice and fine, but, but so what? <laughs> it's not super helpful for us. Like, what's the deal with that? And the Rebbe talks about the idea, and this is my, these are my words, not his, that the first thing Hashem did, whenever we start, we start a project, you start a business. What's the first thing that you have to do? 
You need to come up with what is my mission statement? What, what's the point of this whole thing? Why am I building this house? Why am I starting this building? Why am I, whatever it is that I want to do, why am I doing it? So the first light that Hashem creates is in fact his mission statement. What is the point of the world? That there should be light, that it should be illuminated, that there should be goodness and kindness and all of those things. And Hashem says very clearly, take a look at what's going to happen. There's going to be vayihi erev. There's going to be darkness. There's going to be places of confusion, and there's going to be places of I don't know, and there's going to be places of all those words that would fit into an erev, into a darkness. And then it's going to be vayihi and then there's going to be light and there's going to be renewal and there's going to be rebirth and that's going to be yom echad that means one it's, it means day one but also echad means hashem echad when we can take our dark spaces when we can take the things that crowd us and, and hold us back and don't let us shine as we're meant to and we are able to put in yihi or we're able to illuminate that situation or grow from that situation, when we're able to tap into the vayhi or, then we make a yom echad. Then we say, oh, Hashem is here. This is really what it's all about. That is the mission statement that Hashem gave us on day one. He didn't give us light that is usable. He gave us light that's going to inspire us. Light that we know to tap into, to know that we have it, that we are able to use it, should, you know, the mission, should you choose to accept it, is to create light and in everything that we do. And even when we're in a place that looks not so light, not so bright, not so kind, not so good, we know that we always have the ability to tap into Vayihi R and to be able to illuminate and to bring, and to bring that light forward. Um, this Shabbos, is, I don't know if it's in more than Hasidic circles, it's called Shabbos Beratius. I mean, it's Parshas Beratius, it's reading the Parsha, but it's also called Shabbos Beratius. We're coming from, I don't know if anybody forgot, we were just on a roller coaster of Tishrei. <laughs> and that was, it's a roller coaster even when it isn't Shabbat Chag, Shabbat Chag, Shabbat Chag. Even if it's just like regular, it's still quite the roller coaster. And Shabbos Beratius is where we start to gather everything together and say, okay, and now what do I do with this? How do I integrate this? How do I make this real? How do I... Exactly that. How do I that? How do I, how do I own it? How do, how do I let this make a difference in my life? So I want to give us all a bracha. A, we are opening up a new book, literally. And it's not just literally but it's also emotionally. We're opening up a new book. We're starting a new space. We're, we're able to step into a new page. And I want to give us a bracha, A, that we choose our, that we choose the light, that we don't be, that's not a real quick, you said it in English, we shouldn't be afraid of stepping into a bright space. Um, and that we should use these, you know, in, in, in Chabad Hasidic terminology, they say however you behave on Shabbos Bracious, like that's how you're like sort of setting it for the whole, for the whole year. You know, start, start your, we're starting it on the right foot. So I want to give us a bracha that we step into Shabbos Bracious, ready to start thinking about how do we do this? How do we take this whole roller coaster and how do we take all these emotions? Do you remember Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? How long ago those seem? Like all of that, all of that, we have to now somehow make a little basket that we take with us as we go through 
through the year, and Shabbos Rosh is going to be sort of like that space between Tishrei and going into next week is Rosh Chodesh, and we're going to start moving forward. This is our place to breathe and pause and say, how do I do this? What is my practical plan? Not my wishful thinking plan. <laughs> Here's my challenge. What is my practical plan for making Tishrei a little bit more real? So I want to wish us all the clarity and the courage. I, co- I know I come back to those often because I think they're so important. The clarity for how do I do it and the courage to actually make the steps to do it. Have an awesome rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you.